This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. calls for aid and Bragg shall answer oh Bragg's gonna answer all right Bragg is answering Bragg has an answer upon his lips and his answer is Amon Dean welcome back to light the beacons a Lotro podcast focusing on low-tech microphones subpar sound effects and slipshot editing Oh, and did I mention a little Lotro and all things Tolkien? This is episode number 152, and I am back. I am your host, Bragg of the Lonely Mountain, the Sultan of Shieldswipe, the Earl of Agro, the Warden of the Warning Beacons, and Dwarf of Ill Repute. It is, in fact, a special occasion broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ atop the beacon of Amandine itself. And I've got a little something to confess. I'm excited that I'm here uh, because I've never been here before. I know, scandalous, right? I've traveled all over Middle Earth, but I'm sorry to say I don't have much call to head down towards these parts. Why, it's almost as if they never existed prior to this past week. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge for the viewers. And you know you're not viewers. But let's take a look. What can we see from on top of the Beacon of Amandine? First of all, as if you didn't know, the Beacon of Amandine is a spectacular little piece of architectural achievement perched high atop the mountaintop. You thought it would just be a little a little beacon like you saw in the other parts of Gondor. But no, there's a whole structure here. There's a whole uh, lower hall level uh, leading up to it with uh, ramparts and uh, domes and arches and and enemies. Ooh, gonna have to clear these guys out. Can't have them sullying my beacons. Uh, but then there's a large platform with. Uh, Big, uh, uh, I'd call them almost buttresses sticking off to the side, holding up the edifice. There, uh, in each corner of the of the platform, there's a large obelisk, intricately carved with uh, sun, moon, and uh, design spiraling upwards. The beacon itself is a flame, as I mentioned, and the view up here is spectacular. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about Update 18 in this episode. But one of the highlights of Update 18 for me, and I hope for you as well, are the views that you can get from some of these beacons. As I look off towards the southeast, I can see uh, the elaborate bridge spilling over uh, into um, into Talith Andor. Uh, I can just imagine I might be able to see the outlines of Krithos in the far distance. Um if I look straight east, obviously, I see the red skies of Mordor dominating the horizon, a few hills that are dotted with uh, spectacular trees, um, 
if I look down the mountains directly to the south, I'd like to imagine I can see Minas Tirith over the rise. But it is a bit foggy today, not so clear. The dawnless day perhaps limiting uh, visibility. But obviously these beacons, this beacon was designed to be seen from Minas Tirith and to see a beacon lit at Minas Tirith to signal it. So we would hope on a clearer day that we'd get a clear view of the top of Minas Tirith sticking up from the mountainside. As I look directly north, I can see uh, small campfires dotting the plain like fireflies. Much like Thorin would say, not fireflies, fires, campfires. Uh, so I think the orcs have brought their war machines and camps to this part in an uh, effort to forestall the Rahirim from charging down upon them in the fields of the Pelennor. Uh, uh, further to the north, I can see the eddies and backwashes of the Entwash as it winds its way through this part of the territory. And looking directly west, one of the best views of all, uh, up into the mountainous hills, I can see the beacons of Ilanok and Nardal in the distance uh, and a, a large uh, arched bridge sticking up uh, south of Nardal. Uh, bridging into the woods uh, with mountains framing them in the background and the skies are gray and cloudy and it's a beautiful view uh, there's an even better one from one of the other beacons that I'll talk about a little later in the episode but I think uh, let's just take a minute to think about the journey it took to get us here over eight years in the making playing Lotro over two plus years of podcasting talking about lighting of beacons and here I am standing atop Amandine aflame and I know you guys you viewers out there you know you know you know you're not viewers but you you've been thinking I made up these names when I first started talking about like the beacons well here it is in game okay I didn't make it up it does exist ha <laughs> ha so there you go uh, I think that's enough of that. We're still recovering from the knock on the head I received from the last episode, but uh, let's talk about that as we move towards our second beacon. Yeah, interrupted. Beacon interrupt us. That only happens uh, when I think of baseball. Okay, so uh, second beacon of Elanok, which I can see from my perch right here. As usual, we uh, first deal with a lot of CRAP. Corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. Oh boy. Um, where to start? Where to start? Well, uh, last week, uh, for those of you that might have, uh, you know, first of all, it wasn't last week and you're not viewers, but um, from the last podcast, you might know that we experienced something uh, that has only happened infrequently in Light the Beacons history. We like to call it Grimageddon around here the past few weeks and and during the uh, the onset of Grimageddon uh, we offended how much time do you have uh, let's say multiple individually identified viewers you know you're not viewers shield maidens the entire kingdom of Rohan Ents Moria dwellers Vivian Peters hobbits and the general podcast community and to all those that were offended Grima would like to offer a very solemn and heartfelt Sorry. Don't you Grima. Meh. Grima's a little, feeling a little not himself uh, after the beating he took uh, when I recovered from last week's transgressions a couple weeks ago. Let's move on to viewer comments. Uh, agree to disagree. 
um, the viewers. But on the comments, no. First of all, iTunes reviews. I am still over in 2016, and for the last six months for that matter. If you want to join this illustrious vacuum of reviewers, then continue to do absolutely nothing. Uh, LTB comments on the website from the last podcast. Uh, Zynga wrote in. Uh, some of the folks that were maligned by Grima wrote in. Uh, Zynga mentioned, always classy Grima. Say, I have a couple of Hobbit archer buddies who I bet would just kill to meet you. Please let me know if you'd consider having a last-ing supper with them. I'm sure you'd be the hit of the party. I don't know what he's trying to imply there. Uh, I just don't get it. Brax Wolf wrote in to say, Dude, where's my war steed? You know where it is, dude. You left it uh, in the Brax Wood. LSU Man wrote in to say, Grima, after the Christmas special, I've always wanted to ask whether you took voice lessons. Your singing voice is like nothing I've ever heard. Yeah, I can vouch for that. Along other lines, how do I get what looks like a profile pic for my comment at Light the Beacons? I'm kind of curious. P.S. I hope you didn't hurt Bragg too much and just locked him in the haunted burrow for a few days. Um, I didn't wake up in the haunted bureau. I woke up with no pants uh, atop the... Uh, Top the bar in the middle of the 21st hall. Don't ask me how he got me there. As far as the little uh, icons uh, for like the beacons, eh, something to do with WordPress accounts and uh, Grima, send him an explanation, will you? I really don't get it myself. Uh, lastly, LSU man wrote in to say, oh no, that was uh, Braggenthorn wrote in to say, I think I have a thorn for Grima. <laughs> I've been a bad dwarf and not playing much. The update's coming soon. Hope beyond to check things out. While I was doing the beta of the update, I was feeling familiar beacon names. Thanks, Bragg. Seeing familiar beacon names. Thanks, Bragg, for planting them into my brain. You're quite welcome. You might have some new places for the viewers to see. Looking forward to the Fury of Maul. Oh, no, lol. An April Fool. Signed, an April Fool, Braggenthorn. The Fury of Maul. Uh, okay. Whew. Over my head. But I'm a dwarf, so that's not too hard to do. Uh, in the Twitter sphere, you got to tweet them for me to read them. Uh, actually, a few folks chimed in to defend themselves and malign the much-deserving Grima. So thanks for all the interactions. Appreciate it. From Community Spotlight this week, a very special event took place over the last couple weeks, uh, around about, I think it was April 4th, and that was saying goodbye to all the servers that are no longer with us. It kind of feels like uh, if you're watching <coughs> Talking Dead, when they do the, uh, uh, I need a nail, hang on. When they say hello to all the characters that have been killed in that episode, um... But, uh, yes, it is true. We said goodbye to all the servers that were being retired, and that includes my old familiar haunt of Vilia. And uh, I was not sure exactly when the lights were going out working up to the date, but I did manage to get on. I think it was fairly early in the morning. I want to think it was uh, maybe 10 or 11 o'clock server time. I jumped onto my warden, who was the last character that I had remaining on Vilia. I decided to do one final quest in Vilia, and he being level, I think, 28 or 29 at the time, and sitting in Bree, there was only one quest for me. Can you guess what it was? Finding Dobson's backpack. So off I set off uh, west of Bree, past Adsot's camp, into the Wilterlands, north of... Uh, north of... Uh, uh, Tookland over there, and uh, I found the camp of the giant, 
And if you guys have all done that quest, and I'm sure you all have, you'll know that you can sneak in and steal the backpack and steal away while the giant is out doing his little patrol. But I didn't think that was a fitting ending for this particular quest and this particular occasion. So I fought the giant with my warden, uh, which I call the button masher since I play him so infrequently that I actually don't know too many of the actual gambits I'm supposed to be hitting. And I button mashed him down to almost a dead standstill. Uh, I came close to dying for the last time on Vilia, but I managed to knock him off uh, using a potion or two with just uh, maybe four or five hundred health left for me and uh, was successful. I know you can steal the backpack without fighting the giant, but what fun is that? So the fight came down to the wire. And then I started putting out a call on the world chat, uh, which had been silent the last few times I had logged in. Lo and behold, I uh, got in touch with three or four other tunes who were out adventuring and replied on world chat. We gathered at the front of the Prancing Pony, four lonely tunes, shooting fireworks, dancing and playing music, and watching the world closure announcements. Uh, they did one, I think, at an hour. They did one at 30 minutes. They did one at 15 minutes. And again at five minutes, and we watched the five minutes count down, and we waited for the world to wink out, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. We were saying like all kinds of things like, goodbye, Vilia, forever, so long, see you on the other side, thanks for all the good times, blah, blah, blah. But the world wouldn't die. <laughs> We went well past the timeline. I think it was a glitch. Uh, we're standing around going, okay, what do we do now? <laughs> Maybe we just play some more music. Maybe we light some more fireworks. Uh, it is going to die soon, right? They didn't change their minds. Would have been a great April Fool's joke if they just said, just kidding. You can stay here if you'd like. But finally, the chat stopped and all went dark. And uh, the message appeared on the screen. You have been disconnected from the server. So there was a moment of silence. And after that one minute, I transferred over to Landerville, popped up on the prancing pony there, and started my new adventure. So let me say goodbye to Vilia, uh, and I know you'll live on in the hearts of all those transferred to the surviving servers. And for those still wearing Vilia colors proudly and uh, chiming into a Unite channel created there occasionally, I say uh, we will always have Vilia, we will always have that bond together. And I think uh, even those of you from other servers can appreciate that. Okay, Forums Insider, what's been going on? Well, first there was the countdown to the new target date for the new content, which got moved to April 12th. So they didn't give us long to mourn our old servers before they gave us uh, new content on the consolidated servers, which I think was good timing. Uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of discussion going on regarding the removal of swift horses coming in Minas Tirith. Um, they had supposedly decided to remove them in order to improve performance around Minas Tirith. Uh, because the frequent uh, loads of characters were putting strains on the servers, apparently. And uh, the downside of that is uh, non-VIP players who don't have swift travel suddenly would have to ride either of their own volition or using slow travel from the different stable masters all up and down the Ministry of Questing Chain. And if you've done the Ministry of Questing Chain multiple times like I have, you know what drudgery that can be. So I feel very badly for the non-VIP players 
um, that traveling around Minas Tirith can be quite a grind uh, after a while. There's a lot of back and forth, especially with Forlong and with the kids. The stable masters, you have to look up now. You can always count on the horses being in the center. You know exactly where you needed to go. But um, you have to look up the stable masters now, and if you don't have swift travel, you're in for quite a time traveling back and forth. So traveling around Minas Tirith has become tougher uh, instead of easier, which is not good. And uh, feel bad for the, the non-VIP players. I really think they need to do something about that. What's more, I'm still crashing a lot loading in Minas Tirith, and I know a lot of other people are too based on their comments. So uh, I hope it helped, but I haven't seen a difference yet. If you're gonna if you're gonna remove it, we better see some improvement. And there was a lot of other discussion in the forums about the price of the quest pack. Um, the fact that I don't believe it's separated between instance and quest, so you're kind of all in or not. And it did seem a bit pricey for the number of quests you were getting. Uh, luckily, I never have to deal with that being a lifetime subscriber. So I kind of forget that there are even people paying for the quest packs. Um, would be nice if they could hopefully get gear that's close to as good using the featured instance rather than uh, having to do the instances, uh, having to buy the instances in an Orion in order to be able to get uh, decent gear. So it sounds like they do have that option, which is good. Uh, let me see what else in this week's episode we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in game these past few weeks since we were knocked unconscious we review a game I recently completed and we will discuss first impressions of update 18 lastly if we have any time remaining we will pad out our runtime with useless and boring filler material but let's move on to the beacon of Nardal which I can see right now This week in gaming and or other Tolkien news. So what are the games I've been playing lately? Nothing in DDO. I did log into Secret World recently. I did a quest. I reached some kind of deed level where it said, you know, you've reached so-and-so tier of getting quests done. Uh, and it suggested I try something called the Wreck of the Polaris. So I've done little quest instances in Secret World, and that's been maybe the thing I've enjoyed most. Uh, some of these small instances, like solo instances, that have some puzzles that have to be solved, or um, traps that need to be avoided, or uh, something that you have to accomplish within a certain time frame before uh, you know an alarm goes off, things of that nature. And I do find them refreshingly different from questing in Lotro. It's one of the things I like best about Secret World. But I've never done a real instance instance, so I need to do some research on this to see if Wreck of the Polaris can be done solo, or if it must be done in group, or if it's an option. If it's a solo quest, I'll give it a try, uh, just to get familiar with it, and if it's a if it also allows for a group after I've run it solo, I feel more comfortable in perhaps joining a group and running it then. So I need to do a little bit of research and find out what kind of instance it is. Um, and, uh, you know, could this be perhaps the element, you know, instance uh, running in Secret World that flips the switch for me and makes it my secondary go-to MMO? Maybe. I'll let you know if I get a chance to try it. Marvel Heroes, I haven't been doing anything, but I understand that Electro is coming to the game. I uh, have not tried her. I do have enough points for another tune in that game, I believe, and I'm considering some of my options carefully. I don't play it that much, so I want to make sure I get a character that's going to be fun and different from the ones I have been playing, uh, which are mostly Captain America and the Vision to date. 
Clash of Clans. I finished my Barbarian upgrade to level 6, I believe, and an, a Goblin upgrade to level 6 is in progress. 4.5 million gold piece. Um, running through the 2.5 million gold upgrades for the Archer Towers and Hidden Teslas. And uh, after that, we'll be on to some of the heavier equipment. So, still proceeding nicely in that game and still enjoying the the treasury um, functional enhancement that uh, allows you to more easily build up reserves over time to continue to improve your village. I did not play Star Trek Online for Batman Arkham Asylum. I'll talk a little bit more about this game later. Star Wars Heroes I talked about the last time I was out, which is an iPad game, uh, which very slickly produced. For me, it was about a two-day phenomenon before I lost interest. I'm not saying I won't go back and try it again, but... Uh, yeah, ran out of ran out of um, runway on that one real quick. So, what games uh, after I finished Batman: Arkham Asylum, which is why I'm going to talk a lot about it in a bit more detail later. What games have I, did I move on to play next? Um, I finally downloaded and tried a game called The Stanley Parable, which I'd seen some of my young dwarf babies playing previously and uh, did enjoy that for a lark. I didn't play it as long as they did because I'd seen a lot of it before, so I knew what I was in for. But, uh, you know, very different, uh, very humorous, dry humor, very uh, inventive gameplay versus other games I've tried. So if you haven't tried the Stanley Parable, you can get it pretty cheap now off Steam on a sale. And it's definitely worth checking out because it's fairly quick to get through. <laughs> the funny thing is, you don't know when you're done. There's uh, kind of an unlimited number of paths that you can pursue and all have different narratives, which are humorous. But uh, you do get a little bit tired of it after a while, and you do reach uh, some plateaus, which kind of, I think, are kind of a logical conclusion for the game to move on. So I played the Stanley Parable. Uh, I'll put a plug in for a game I tried by a game maker called Clandestine Games. You guys may know the author of that, uh, of that game is Brannock of Lotro Academy fame. So I gave a download and a try to his game, Scoop. Um, I hadn't tried it previously because I thought it was only available on Android, but as it turns out, there's a PC client for it. So uh, I made a small donation and downloaded the game and tried it out, and it was a lot of fun. And it requires a little bit of dexterity, a little bit of uh, strategy in, in uh, learning the best way to keep up with the, uh, with the progressing um, attackers, I guess you'd call them, on either side, blocks that you need to repel. And uh, I think I ended up somewhere in the middle of the, the default leaderboard when I was finished and I had a bunch of fun names on there for other podcasters in the Lotro community. So it was fun to edge above, I don't know, Andang or Dracula or whoever it was, and maybe just below just below Pine Leap and Terry Adwin uh, in, uh, in my first playthrough. So that was a good time. Uh, and the latest game, I decided I needed a palate cleanser before I jumped into something similar to Batman Arkham Asylum again. Uh, so I took a Steam sale out and downloaded South Park and the Stick of Truth. I am a closet uh, fan of the South Park humor. I definitely love uh, Trey Parker and uh, and uh, their rendition of Team America World Police. My kind of humor, uh, for the most part. And uh, I thought I'd give their game a try. I thought it would be a good uh, sorbet to cleanse the palate. So I started and played maybe you know the first 45 minutes of South Park and the Stick of Truth. 
And if I make uh, additional, it looks like there's actual gameplay involved. I thought it would all be a joke, but it looks like there's actual gameplay and advancement involved. And as I get into that game, I'll let you know what I think of it. But uh, I definitely laughed out loud at least once or twice in that first 45-minute playthrough session and quite a few chuckles as well. All right, enough about what I've been doing in every game besides Lotro. In Lotro itself, Bragg is now level 104 and about a half a level away from 105. He's got a whole lot of bingo saved up. I think I left bingo in the Dolvin View in Moria and have not returned. So I have a nice healthy play session of bingo saved up when I end up getting back to him. Of course, Bragg has been uh, playing the new content, which I'll talk about in a future beacon. And now it's been a while since I podcast, so I can't remember if I talked about this or not. So I have to mention it. Maybe I won't go into as much detail as I would because I don't want to go over old ground. But over the last month or so, about a month ago, I found myself uh, on a Saturday with uh, the rest of the family on the road and me home alone. And uh, after I got all my chores done, I found a several-hour gameplay session or window ahead of me, which is not something that happens for me very frequently. And I decided to go for it and take a chicken to Minas Tirith. And so I set out on the road on a mid-Saturday afternoon. Uh, fully expecting to, uh, from what I read, it takes about uh, two and a half to three and a quarter hours, somewhere in there, to make a chicken full run all the way from Sanson's farm to the top of Minas Tirith. And I think that was pretty close to reality for me. Uh, I fully expected to get about three quarters of the way and die. <laughs> uh, the previous week, I had listened to the podcast of the Tolkien professor as uh, he had an honor guard of like 25 tunes. <laughs> Leading his chicken all the way to Minas Tirith. They had like full coordination. They had advance guard. They had rear guard. They had, you know, pacers. They had uh, uh, what I call blanks, lower level tunes to, uh, you know, attract aggro running ahead of them and be killed instead of sacrifice themselves for him. And it was this whole procession. I watched it for a while with a lot of amusement. Uh, when I went for my chicken run, uh, Bragg is not in the kin right now still on uh, Landreval yet. Uh, I did it solo. I ran all the way by myself. Eventually I heard a couple other chickens starting up like an hour or two behind me and I was uh, providing them updates in the chicken channel and encouraging them onwards, uh, giving them warnings when I when I was running into trouble. So a shout out to, I think it's the Department of Strategy website where I went to for some guides. Um, it, did, it did point out one or two kind of key areas you need to look out for, uh, specifically you know, things are get a little hairy in a couple different spots. Let me let me see if I can pull up a map and remember what exactly. So, uh, so Eriador is is pretty easy. You go from the Shire to Breland, no problem. Lonelands, yeah, there's a link or two in there, but not really an issue. Trollshaws, you can run up through. I think the first real threatening region is when you get to a region because you start to lose the road in there. It gets really hard to follow, and there are critters uh, back and forth across the paths. There are some uh, some wood trolls and some huorns in the northern part. And as you get down into the south, there's obviously uh, you know lots of lizards and, uh, and and so forth. So as you cross over from a region into Enidwaite, there's also a dangerous zone where you can run into a lot of uh, Dunlandings in Enidwaite. 
Um, and as you get to the middle of the zone, actually, you, you kind of lose the road again, and there's a lot of crabane about. So that's kind of a dicey area. I never felt very comfortable when I was in there at all until I got to the bridge. Uh, once I got to the bridge, and the southern part of Enidwaith was kind of cake. Um, Dunland was not bad. A couple dicey moments moving through the Graven Wood. Uh, uh, let me see. And uh, Rohan was not bad. Getting past the um, getting past the Westfold, the city of the Burn City that's there, the Martin Farmlands. Uh, there were a couple anxious moments because there's a lot of wargs patrolling through the roads there, groups of two to three wargs. Uh, but once you get past uh, the Martin Farmlands, it's kind of clean running all the way up to Kingstead and into um, into Dunharrow. And the Pass of the Dead is cake. So that's all easy stuff. And then, let me see. Where next? i got to go all the way around. Uh, gotta go to Western Gondor, the Central Gondor, Western Gondor. There we are. Okay. Uh, so as you go down through the Path of the Dead, um, again, it's easy times all the way through to Central Gondor. And then as you start to get into uh, Dor in Erneal, things start to get interesting again. Um, there's a some dicey moments getting to the town of Linhir, and then it becomes terrifying. You're, you're two hours in, and you've reached Lower Labinin, and you're walking along the roads, uh, you know, east of Lanier and to Prolargir, and uh, there are mounted enemies running back and forth across the road there constantly. And I remember I was right near the camp of the Grey Host, and there was... Um, a horseman who came and sat on the road and he sat there and he's looking right at me the whole time <laughs> and he's just sitting there and I'm like okay if you can wait I can wait and, you know I got my I got my finger on the drop dead button but I tell you what it is not immediate there's a couple seconds there before you drop I didn't think there was any chance that if someone got an aggro range I'd be able to hit it in time but I was ready just in case I'm sitting there waiting for the horse to get off the road and I start to see mobs coming up from behind me and I am getting squeezed there are wolves behind me. There's a horseman ahead. And I start to edge off the trail to the right. Uh, uh, an anxious moment there. But eventually the horseman passed. I was able to run on, kind of skirt around him into Eastern Gondor. Uh, Eastern Gondor, fairly simple, all the way up to Harland. Um, had to be careful crossing over from Harland into the Pelennor to make sure no one was guarding. Had the gate quest active there with orcs running up. Uh, and then, you know, actually I called, you know, I was sitting, uh, sitting in the Pelennor and a couple, I was sitting there at the South Gate talking to, who's there, Ingold or something like that. And, uh, you know, the tunes are coming up and doing the dailies that are on the South Gate there. And I'm jumping up and down trying to get someone's attention going, you know, could you please escort me the last hundred yards across the Pelennor to Minas Tirith? I mean, if I saw a chicken sitting at the South Gate, of Minas Tirith, or the Pelennor Fields, wouldn't you take the time out to, to help him get to the gates of Minas Tirith? I mean, <laughs> I, I must have flapped my wings at like seven, eight, nine people, and nobody offered to help me, which I was a little eh, disappointed in, let's say. But eventually, I decided to buck up, uh, you know, 
tuck my feathers in, put my tail down, and hightail it myself. I made it across the field to Minas Tirith, and then I was afraid I'd glitch. Oh, I should say, just in case you're worried about this, yes, my client did crash twice during the course of this journey. And the first time it happened just in sight of Medusel, about an hour and a half in. And I thought I'd, I'd wake up on Sansa's farm. I was really mad. But I logged back into the game, and I was sitting right where I'd left off. And I hadn't been killed, and I didn't get teleported back to Sansa's farm. So you can survive a client crash. And it happened again to me uh, somewhere in central Gondor. So two during the course of the journey. But I made it up to the top of Minas Tirith, and cluck cluck flew my way off. The last impediment, of course, is I did hear someone who jumped off and got stuck on a parapet and didn't go through the activation for the deed and get the title. But uh, I was careful about where I jumped off and uh, took a flying leap, and I am now Lord of the Wings. So apologize if I mentioned that before, but I did want to cover it. it was uh, It's a fun thing to do. You need about two and a half to three hours, and... Uh, I probably would recommend if you had an honor card. I don't know if I'd do it solo like me again, but I'm kind of proud that I did it without anybody helping. Um, my Bjorning, stuck at 90 around Middlemead. My Minstrel has finished off the quests of Minas Tirith and North Anorian and just needs the Anorian roving threats for that region's uh, class trait point. Uh, my Cappy, the Fashionable. Uh, it's gone on an SG uh, Sabbath Gall Runner 2 as the featured instance. Nothing on my lore master. My bird did complete the Minas Tirith epic quest line, uh, which was kind of fun, actually, because of one particular thing. I was just finishing off the big battles there to get through that piece of the story, and uh, I appeared and I fell through the floor of Minas Tirith um, when I was standing next to the Prince of Dol Amroth. And... Uh, and I landed, and I wasn't dead, and I looked up, and I had fallen inside the structure itself. So I was standing on the ground underneath Minas Tirith, uh, looking up at the tiers of the city rising over my head. Uh, I could see water from fountains floating. I could see bridges and parapets. I could see uh, you know feet from people walking on some of the streets. And it was all hollow underneath. <laughs> so I ran around, you know, the second or third level of Minas Tirith, just looking up at the structures up in the sky. And it was, uh, I couldn't get out, actually. I couldn't find a hole to walk out into the field. Uh, eventually, I had to, you know, I took a few screenshots. Maybe I'll share those at some point in time of the underside of Minas Tirith. Because uh, I thought it was pretty cool, actually, in some cases. And uh, eventually, I used the stuck command to free myself. But uh, that was interesting, if you guys haven't done that yet. Um, no time on the hunter. My champ is languishing in Moria, and my RK has gotten no love. Big news on my warden, of course. He's transferred to Landerville, and that's all I've been doing in Lotro. I think that's plenty, so let's move on to our next beacon. Everlas. Okay, let's take a break from Lotro for a few minutes to do a review of Batman Arkham Asylum, which I finished up uh, a few weeks ago. So, why would you want to play this game? Well, first of all, you get to say, I'm Batman. And he is a badass in this game. I mean, there's no question. I mean, he's in the middle of Arkham Asylum on an island filled with psychotic lunatics and assassins. Every major villain in his entire rogues gallery is uh, broken out and is on the attack. Um, there's giant, you know, mutated 
uh, you know, Mongo humanoids attacking him at every, and he's he's got the whole thing under control. He's like, no, I don't need help. I got this. No problem. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. Save yourself. I'll be good. And he does because he's Batman. So one of the reasons I bought this game was uh, it came out, I think, maybe two or three years ago now. Uh, I think there's been maybe two Batman titles published since then. And uh, I originally bought it on a Steam sale. Of course, my price point, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 7 to 12 bucks. And uh, for getting roughly maybe 50 to 60 hours of gameplay, uh, that works out to somewhere in the neighborhood of you know 15 to 17 cents an hour. It's not a bad deal. Um, when I finished the end of the story mode, I tried some of the additional scenarios um, for a laugh just to see what they were like. Uh, basically, there are these kind of set piece, um, set piece, uh, you know, fights that you can go through or scenarios that you can run through after the game that aren't linked to the story. Um, but I'm not enough of a completionist to go back. You know, they try to encourage you. This is similar to, um, similar to Assassin's Creed in some ways. They try to encourage you to go back and you know find all the different points that you can get to on the map and discover all the hidden objects and. In different areas uh, to get to basically 100%, which is a completionist uh, kind of mindset. But uh, for me, when the story is over, the game's kind of over, um, and I tend to move on. I don't have that, you know, I try to find as much stuff as I can as I'm going through the game. You know, sometimes there's abilities you unlock later where if you went back to the earlier parts of the game, you could do, they kind of do this in the Lego games a lot, where you know, if you use a different character, you can go through areas you've been before and unlock some new stuff you haven't done before. But, uh, you know, I tried a few of those, but it didn't really seem like it was, uh, you know, that gratifying. So for me, when the story is over, it's kind of over. So let's talk about some of the different facets of the game. Uh, the graphics. You know, I know this game's two or three years old, but certainly if I'm playing a game like Lotro, uh, the graphics are a big upgrade for the most part. I'd give them, you know, they don't have maybe the, the realism of some of the latest games like like a well, not the latest, but like a Skyrim or something like that. But but pretty darn good. I was impressed overall. I'd give them a B plus. Uh, sound effects in the game I thought were also solid. Gave a, kind of a you know an eerie uh, you know eerie back plot to um, to Arkham, which is a, kind of a spooky setting in and of itself. Uh, I thought they were atmospheric and they added to the overall gameplay. I give them a B plus. Music. You know, there is music in it, but, you know, I'd have to say, thinking back on it without punching the game up, I can't remember it very well. So, uh, you know, I had nothing wrong with it, but it didn't make an impression on me, not like the game, not like the music in Lotro does. I'd give it a B. Uh, the overall storyline. So, they do knit together a storyline for this, basically. Uh, you know, some of the inmates have broken out of the asylum, or have taken over the asylum, right? So, that's that, at its core, that's what's going on. And uh, Joker does have a plot to leverage, um, you know, some experiments that have been going on in there for his own uses and to unleash the results upon Gotham, right? So you've got to basically penetrate all the different areas, deal with all the different rogues gallery of villains that have broken out and uh, stop him before his plan comes to fruition and he uh, unleashes this gas on Gotham, which will turn people into giant mongoloid human crazies. Uh, so it's you know it's a little flim flammy, but um, but it serves its purpose. I'd give it a B. Uh, now the world, the environment that you're in for the game. Uh, this is where I think 
Arkham Asylum starts to shine a little bit. Arkham Asylum is kind of an iconic setting in the world of comics if you're a DC fan, uh, if you're a Batman fan specifically, and uh, they have done it uh, pretty good justice here. It's complex. There's a lot of uh, lot of um, a lot of uh, you know maze-like you know uh, tunnels and uh, and old decrepit buildings and and boy I, I don't think the the board of health has been here in a while. This place is a little rundown, <laughs> so it is spooky in a lot of areas. It's got lots of abandoned tunnels and experimental you know rooms and there's some scary stuff going on in here. <laughs> uh, I would say the some of the details of the asylum world are maybe the one reason I wouldn't let younger kids play this game. Uh, overall, uh, besides that, I think it would be decent. But uh, there are some, some aspects of the of the Arkham Asylum world that are a little cringeworthy. Uh, that might not be appropriate for younger kids. But uh, I, I found it very engrossing. I gave it an A minus. So mechanics of the game, uh, you know, there's ex exploration and navigation, which uh, I enjoyed a lot. Uh, Batman, because of his, you know, zip lines and different batarangs and so forth, and the ability to kind of glide on his cape. Um, is a fun character to explore the different, uh, you know, the different environments uh, as far as movements concerned. Um, combat, I'll talk a lot in a little bit in more detail, so I'll skip over that one. Uh, one of the aspects of the game, from a completion standpoint, is finding all the different Riddler question marks that have been hidden all over the island, and sometimes it takes a little puzzle solving to find some of those, and that's kind of a fun diversion to locate those and have them comment on each one as you pick it up. Plus, they give you some XP for advancement as well. Um, there are also tapes that you can find hidden around the island that have little segments of voice acting uh, for each of the major characters and uh, villains and so forth being interviewed by you know, doctors or inmates or whatever the case may be. And I found the voice acting for those pretty interesting. Generally, I did listen to them when I found them. Uh, puzzles aren't very complex, but they, they do exist where you have to kind of navigate your around, way around the environment using Batman's different tools and all his bat stuff, right? So what bat stuff do you get? You get batarangs that you can throw to knock out people at range. You get a zip line you can throw, which will, you know, it's like a grip, a, a grapple gun that'll zip you up to the tops of towers or roofs. Um, you can also use a, a zip line that you get later for traveling horizontally across large distances. You get explosive bat gel that you can use in certain circumstances to blow open doors and hatches and things like that. Um, you got a bat winch you can use, uh, it's kind of a grappling hook to pull things down towards you, and a bat decoder that you can use to penetrate computer systems by kind of a little mini game where you have to tune it just right to make it explode. Um, so having all the bat stuff is fun, and that kind of adds dimensions, and as you gain an XP, a lot of those different abilities grow in strength, so um, the progression in the game is kind of getting better armor, learning better moves, doing more damage, and kind of upgrading your equipment. Uh, combat, kind of broken into three different areas. There's a stealth scenario where uh, you're in an area where all the guards are heavily armed and you have to sneak up on them from behind or you know, kind of leak down from gargoyles and string them up. Um, you have to take them down one at a time uh, so that the other guards aren't alerted to your presence because if they find you and they start unloading machine gun fire, you can go down pretty fast. Uh, so I found the stealth scenarios a nice change of pace. Sometimes they're a little bit of a pain. Um, you can get pretty far in them and then have to start over from scratch if the last couple guys spot you and, and shoot you down before you can get them. Um, so they were a little bit grindy in, at places, but I did enjoy them overall. Uh, I just uh, would hope that uh, 
the artificial intelligence driving some of the guards would uh, split them up a little more frequently so that you have more opportunity for the takedowns you need from behind uh, to succeed in those scenarios. The second combat scenario is just uh, is what I call a fear scenario where you've been injected by the Scarecrow's formula and you have to kind of sneak through this little puzzle world by the giant scary looking Scarecrow guy to uh, shine a light on him and, and break his hypnotic spell. And uh, those are different and fun, good change of pace as well. Uh, the third one is just straight up brawls um, where you're fighting you know, large numbers of combatants and sometimes bosses. Uh, you know, the combat, the, the array of moves you get to use as Batman is pretty extensive. They're, you can button mash the same button overall and kind of direct him at the foes, and uh, he can kind of move his way through a, a large number of combo moves that are pretty inventive and pretty bone-crunching in a lot of cases. Um, and you can get through a lot of the fights that way. Eventually, you have to learn to use some of his other tools, like swinging his cape to disorient foes that are uh, they're armed with electric stun chargers and things of that nature, doing a, a double tap to dodge attacks, a quick batarang to distract your foes, um, doing a block or a counter on someone that's approaching you with uh, you know some kind of taser gun or uh, a stun baton. And then the boss bottles, which I, I found you know very familiar from many other types of games I played. Uh, you know, basically, once I usually would fail the first time I tried the boss until I understand what the pattern was, and the second or third time I'd succeed. So it's a typical pattern where you have to learn, you know, what to do, when to attack, when to, when to run away, uh, to give yourself some more room. Um, you know, three passes, maybe with a wave of ads in between each one. Uh, you know, and you can take a boss down. Um, so they, they were interesting and a little bit different enough to keep my attention on those. And, uh, you know, and not too hard. Hard enough that I couldn't do it first try usually uh, for a boss battle. But, um, but uh, you know, just challenging enough that it might take a second or a third try uh, until you got the technique and pattern down. Uh, and I think I played the game on normal difficulty level. So... Overall, I'd give uh, Batman Arkham Asylum a solid B. After all, B stands for Batman. Uh, would I play another Batman game, uh, Arkham Asylum games that uh, that have followed? Possibly. I could see myself returning to one in the future. Um, but I think there are a lot of other games that have different mechanics that I'd like to try first. So if I do play another Batman game, I think it's going to be a while. I wouldn't say I'm hooked to the point where I'm going to play every game that comes out. But I could see buying them cheap again down the road uh, for the ones that are a little past, especially if there's a one that's particularly well-reviewed or introduces something new or different. That is it for Batman. So let's move on to Min Rimon. And now, the original word from our sponsor segment. Although, this week, due to Grimageddon, our sponsors were a little scared off, and they didn't want to uh, advertise on the channel. Grima, you're costing me revenues. So instead, a Lotro Joke of the Day week podcast for you viewers. Uh, Gonberry Gon, as you know, walks barefoot most of the time, which has produced an impressive set of calluses on his feet. He also eats only nuts and twigs off of the ground in Tordruadan, which has made him rather frail. 
probably, probably why we have to do all these quests for him. And with his odd diet and general lack of hygiene, he suffers from extremely bad breath, as most of you probably know by now. So that makes him what? A super calloused, fragile mystic plagued with halitosis. But um, uh, you may have heard that joke before under uh, different guys, but I've repurposed it for Lotro. If you guys like the Lotro joke of the day, perhaps we shall see more of them in future episodes. If our sponsors don't return, right. Okay, let's move on to Minrimon. Uh, we've done Minrimon. Let's move on to some other beacon. Kalanhat. All right, folks, let's talk about 18, update 18. Woohoo! It's called the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, but I like to call it the Rise of the Beacons. So we'll try to keep down on the spoilers somewhat, but I think most folks at CAP at this point have been through the epic story. Uh, but I'll try not to spoil anything especially special for you. So let's talk a little bit about the landscape first. Tor Druidan, first impressions. Uh, I liked it. I thought it was a nice change of pace and feel. Uh, you know, Turbine seems to have a knack, right? We have, we've been through many forests in the game, from the old forest uh, to the woods of eastern Angmar to the fields of Fornost uh, to the leaves of Lorien, uh, the, the forests of Mirkwood, um, you know, some of the ones in southern Gondor. And uh, you know, even up in Wildermore, and uh, you know, they they and uh, of course Fangorn and different areas of Fangorn, and I think Turbine does a really good job of kind of changing the palette of components and making each forest that we've seen in the game feel a little bit different from the others, whether it's the spacing of the trees or the ground cover that's in there or um, the presence of rocks and hills and paths. Um, you know, in this one, I, one of the things that stands out to me are that, that mark the establishments of the Druidine are the kind of overarching tree roots that form little arches and paths that uh, I've enjoyed. Um, I like seeing the ancient Rohirrim roads, uh, the lost roads traveling through the woods, uh, especially some of the structures that you find along the roadsides there. Um, a couple things, though, that are unnecessarily annoying in implementation. <laughs> So I've heard a couple people mention this alone. Uh, also, I'm not alone on this. The roots in eastern Tor Druidan around some of the Beacon Hills are just a pain in the neck. I mean, you can get caught like every three feet. So basically, if you're running on your horse, you got to just keep pressing the jump button uh, to get over and not get stuck on the roots. And uh, it's really bumpy, and they're kind of a pain. I, I don't really see the point. Uh, yeah, it makes them look different, but you know maybe we could have made them a little less substantial so they wouldn't have inhibited our moving around. Um, the town of Drubuta uh, is difficult to navigate. <laughs> There's no question about it. It's a little unintuitive the way the switchbacks work and the way you know a lot of the uh, connections uh, to different paths look similar. Uh, you can't just go in the direction you need to go to get to your quest driver. So so at least one tune in. I'm still finding it confusing. I'm starting to get the hang of it. I'm sure in the second and third tune it's going to crystallize. But for those of you who haven't that haven't started it yet and you want a little bit of help, uh, there's an excellent, excellent article over at uh, Department of Strategy again that shows a little map of the pathways, uh, which I think would be invaluable for your first time through. So definitely go check that out. 
Uh, good job on that. And lastly, there's the war settings, uh, where the Rohirrimurk encamped on their way to uh, the fields of the Pelennor. And uh, the war settings, I have to complain. Um, first of all, they, they sprawl a long way, so there's lots of encampments, which is you know realistic, but um, getting around them is a pain. Uh, so there's lots of impediments to moving freely between the different camps. Uh, you're basically running over you know, Rohirrim that are like sitting in sleeping bags lined up all over the floor. <laughs> kind of reminds me of when I ran through Helm's Deep over the bodies of the fallen. I feel badly like running over the tops of the Rohirrim, but it's almost impossible to avoid them and navigate around the space in an expeditious manner. Uh, if you were going to RP and walk around everywhere, maybe you could do it, but you know, basically, um, I think I killed about half the Rohirrim before they made it to the fields of the Pelennor by stomping on top of them with my horse and pony, you know, with my dwarven body. So, uh, sorry about that, Rohirrim. I might have single-handedly caused you to fall in the war and uh, and for uh, Sauron to, you know, win the day at Gondor. Um, so the war settings are a pain to navigate as well. And in general, the forest around Torbuta uh, and Tor Druidan... If you stay on the paths, you're fine. <laughs> if you get off the paths, uh, there's lots of kind of one-way waterfalls and steep cliffs that uh, prevent you from navigating freely. So uh, a little bit of a hassle navigating off-path. I recommend staying on the path, although certainly some of the quests will drive you off. And, you know, I want to see the zone, right? So i got to explore a little bit. Um, some of the hills around the beacons themselves look look great, uh, especially the views up into the beacons. So let's talk about the beacon hills. Not the bacon hills, the beacon hills. Get your mind back in the game. Um, you know, some of them are fairly simple, look like the ones in Gondor, and some of them are epic, like the ones I just described on Amandine. Uh, the beacon at Minrimon is also awesome. The beacon at Nardal is really pretty. And one of the best views I've seen is from Elinok. Uh, the top of Elinok, looking back at the beacon of Amandine, I got some great screenshots where you can see like little arches of, of the um, structures on top of Amandine with the red sky behind them with the lightning crackling. Um, so, by the way, how many screenshots did I waste trying to catch the lightning flaring in the background? <laughs> You know, it, it goes too quick. So once it strikes, if you hit the button, it's too late. So you kind of got to time it and hope you get lucky. I probably took like 20 screenshots, just hoping that one or two of them come out with lightning striking in the background. So kind of filling up. I might want to go back and thin some of those out, <laughs> taking up room on my hard drive. Um, so there are some amazing vistas uh, to be seen from the beacons, highlighted with the red, score, the red skies of Mordor behind. And uh, I have not yet ridden to the connecting land, so I've not ridden north to the Fall of Roros or uh, the East Wall or west to the Beacon Watch. Um, so uh, I kind of haven't seen how uh, Turbine has blended the old places with the new. Um, I think that'll be interesting. I'll probably ride the old, uh, at one point I'll probably ride the old boundaries to see how they blended into the new one. Whether the uh, number of places you can go through um, to get to the new territory is uh, small or large. Um, I did notice when I rode across the bridge from Talithanor into toward Druidan that uh, I, um, I phased out. So there was a moment of black, and I swam in, and I think that uh, was probably on purpose to do um, 
to do phasing, uh, you know, for layers for when there's too much activity going on with the new area being new. Um, but I'm wondering now if the northern route coming east down through Rohan and through the Beacon Hills and toward Druidan might be the quickest way to get the Lord of the Wings title versus uh, having to go through the Pass of the Dead and through uh, western and central Gondor. My gut tells me it might be a little safer, although there are a couple points that I have to go back and take a closer look at. So, for example, the Eastern Blockade and Mudhole Grack, which are on the path, might cause you having to go down through um, the Southern Way, through Drubuta. Uh, you know, the path basically that the Vorhirim take, although you'd still have to go through the quarry there, which uh, has all those Drugan in there. So, uh, have to do a little more experimentation on that, but uh, I'll leave it to somebody else since, uh, since I've already got the title. You tell me if you take it and it's easier. Uh, so, let's talk a little bit. Uh, that's enough for the landscape for now. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the epic story. Um, I, I divide it into three parts. First, uh, there's a section uh, where you meet in the Druidan. And uh, I did find them amusing and interesting. Uh, you may remember on previous podcasts, I predicted uh, back when they were talking about adding a new class to the game, I had two ideas. I said the Bjorning and the Druidan of Gunburigan fame. And uh, Bjorning came real. And I think uh, I still say that if they ever have another class in Lotro, the Druidan is a great uh, option because it's so different. Uh, I see them as a combo Runekeeper slash champ, um, you know, almost like kind of a monk in uh, in uh, in Dungeons and Dragons to some degree. Um, I think they could have some mystic capabilities and also could be adept at kind of hand to hand, you know, weaponless combat almost. Um, so again, I'll just remember that prediction. I'll bring it up again just in case. Uh, but I did find the characters interesting. I thought the stories and the quests were, were kind of fun. Um, the environment was different. Part 2 brings you to the Warsteadings. And to me, this uh, lagged a little bit. I thought it was more about them introducing you to some of the characters you'd forgotten about in Rohan. <laughs> uh, so that you'd get reacquainted with them before you got to the Pelennor. Which I think was smart. You know, it doesn't lend to the most uh, dynamic quest pursual, but, um, but I understand why they had to do it. And then uh, part three of the epic story, the battle. A multi-part saga. So um, I like the way they broke the battle into phases and showed how the different troops were uh, arrayed on the battlefield so you could get a real sense for how things were proceeding. And obviously they have the detail that Tokian provided to give them a real sense for how that unfolded. Um my excitement mounted as we approached the Pelennor Fields, and uh, Theoden gave his speech, and we started to charge. This was the moment we'd been waiting for, joining the charge of the Mahirim on our war steeds as they drove down into the Pelennor and started to thrust aside the armies of, of Mordor. Um, my excitement turned to a little bit of chagrin as the charge of the Mahirim cut short by a fade to black before going to the next segment of the battle. I understand why they had to do it, I gotta say, it's still a little bit disappointing, unfortunately. Um, but overall, the battlefield aesthetics I thought were great. Uh, seeing the charging, you know, troops of horsemen and Mubukil in the background 
the use of the new technique of battle groupings to provide uh, you know scale to the conflict without overloading your graphics cards since they're kind of stationary animated blocks uh, I thought was a, a very uh, apt technical solution uh, that gives you more feel of being in a massive battle as much as they could at least um, and still allowing individual combatants to appear in and to face you uh, so that you can get involved in the fighting. Um, although kind of strange, I kind of wish I'd been ganged up on a bit more frequently, um, which I think is interesting. You know, lots of times there's single one-on-one -on -one guys, and as a guard, you know, I go through an area and try to group up as many as I can and kill them all at once. Uh, so I kind of wish that it's almost like they need like some mini warbands uh, patrolling around that you need to be careful of or need to have have to have help from the NPCs to fight. Uh, but overall. Um, was done very well the use of cinematics to portray some of the key events uh you know i expected and uh, found those exciting there were a couple story twists they inserted in there certainly the plots that were added by turbine that were not indicated in the books as well as some things that were indicated in the books that they give a little spin to um, no spoilers but I particularly you know the wording of one survivor's dialogue to explain why his fate was not as the historians might have described it from the book, I found um, interesting. I'm not sure I agree with why they did it. I understand why they did it. Uh, you know, I don't mind that uh, at least it was a little unexpected. It's nice to know they have some surprises in the books. I'm not sure I would have done it that way, but I respect the decision. Um, fangirls and boys should not should not be disappointed it is truly an epic battle uh you know you there are a lot of different phases it takes a while to get through you definitely feel like you've been in an all-day conflict by the time you uh, uh surface from it and uh you feel like you're been a key participant in uh you know the key events of the age which is one of the things that turbine has done so well over the years uh so battle of the pelinor fields may be the most difficult event in the history of the third age of middle earth to portray in the game and uh, i would have to say that uh that turbine did um about as good a job as as i could have expected from them given the technologies that they're working with so um uh you know i wasn't blown out of my seat but i was satisfied and uh i'm sure there'll be people that on both sides of that fence but uh I did enjoy it quite a bit and uh, was a nice capstone to the area. Um, the side quest in the area for Tor Druidon I found interesting. Uh, the Beacon Hills, I'm still working through the last ones in the Beacon Hills. Uh, I did uh, was surprised at the scale of the size of the town of Osterimon. Um, it actually kept going, it kept going back and it kept going and it kept going and it kept going. You know, just uh, again, always impressed by Turbine's willingness to create an immersive environment by you know, in a lot of cases, some of these structures they've built, they've overbuilt them, um, a lot of these towns, you know, based on the amount of gameplay you're getting out of that area, it's really kind of, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of effort for the amount of gameplay you're getting out of the area, and I really respect their uh, willingness to build out a fully fleshed environment that kind of increases your immersion. Uh, the new reputation factions in the release. Defenders of Minas Tirith. Uh, there's another tier of rep to get to Respected in Minas Tirith is the title. So, let me get this straight. I'm Kindred right now. Kindred with the Defenders of Minas Tirith, but I'm still not respected. Like, I don't respect anyone in my family. Well, 
when you say it like that, I, I guess it kind of makes sense now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, maybe you wouldn't respect everyone in your family. <laughs> you know them too well for that, so maybe I do have to earn one more tier. Beyond Kindred, there is respect. Fine, I'll buy it. The Riders of Rohan... Um, so it looks like Defenders of Minas Tirith uh, um, is going to require doing a number of dailies and maybe going through the instances and some warbands to get to the end of that uh, reputation. Uh, the Riders of Rohan, which is most of the quests that you get from the new area, uh, looks like there will be just enough quests to get you close with maybe a couple repeatables and some, uh, some roving threats. Um, so I'll kind of monitor that as I get to the end and see if that's natural or if I have not used any accelerators, uh, as I know I don't do with Bragg typically, but I imagine I will with uh, with some of the tunes that will follow. Um, featured instances uh, in the game. So I like this feature. I like that it draws you back to the old content and incents you to go there. Um, at least on, on Landerville, the response has been great. There have been tons of people calling out for the first week for Samoth Gall and now for Ostalendal. As a matter of fact, a featured instance I think is 50% of what I see being run typically on a given night since those things came out. Uh, which just goes to show, again, if the rewards are there, people will follow. Uh, I did forget how easy Tier 1 Samoth Gall can be. <laughs> I remembered on level Tier 2 runs being, you know, quite... Uh, quite the challenge back in the day and even OE six man challenge a bit more, but, but you can run them on tier one and get, you know, get some lost coins and some scrolls from empowerment. I just ran an Austin Lendl instance with Bragg before a podcast and uh, we were probably through it in 10 minutes and I got three scrolls from empowerment and five long lost coins along with, you know, whatever relics and runes and silver, the chests were dropping. So, so pretty nice rewards for that matter uh, for the amount of time spent and uh, Bragg's allies are slowly getting up closer to level 44. I think most of them are between level 40 and 44 at this point. So it is possible to cap them out. Ow. Sorry. Um, what else? Crafting. Uh, there's new essences from the featured instances that you can buy with the long lost coins. So good that you can finally use your crafting again and maybe those... Uh, uh, Zircon shards. I've never found any on the landscape in all the time. I've been questing across all my tunes, but as long as you can get in the skirm camp, I think that's fair. I wish the drop rate was a little bit more on the landscape, though. Gotta say. Combat changes. I haven't noticed anything that significant yet. I know Berg should be nerfed by the lack of critical chances. I haven't really run my Berg enough yet to, to measure that. Uh, I will agree with uh, Aerothert that my guard in uh, Blue Stance is a little OP. Um, I tried the experiment that he recommended, which is run into the Library of Than Merdane, pull everything up to the first boss, and you can basically put your guy on auto attack and walk away and his bar won't move. <laughs> which is kind of cool and kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, a little bit of a face palm, face roll, or palm, whatever you call it. Um... A little bit of a face roll, so, you know, like a bit more challenge, but, you know, I'll probably need all of that ability and more when I get into the instances. So, as long as it's, you know, reasonable on the landscape, I'm fine with that. We'll probably get nerfed at some point, I imagine. Uh, performance improvements. So, I will say that I'm not getting a ton of lag, which is good. 
but I think I'm crashing to desktop maybe now more than I was before. I would say at least once an hour uh, having to restart the game. Is that annoying? Yep. Especially since they're supposed to be putting in place uh, slowly improvements over time. Miscellaneous things I saw from the notes I wanted to call out. Not going to read the notes, but I did notice that you can now barter hit bolt tokens for rep in Eastern Rohan. So, you know, at first the gating used to be back in the old days, um, building all the different things out in hit bolt, uh, and they made that easier. They made each thing that you need to build one coin instead of five or ten or fifteen. So that went quickly, but you still had to get kindred rep with all four factions in uh, in Rohan. And uh, now remember, Riders of Rohan, I'm kindred with the Odridge Riders, the men of the Norcrofts, the men of the Suckcrofts, the men of the Wold, and the men of the Antwash, which basically comprises all the guys that are riding with me to the Pelennor Fields. But now I have to get kindred rep with Riders of Rohan, <laughs> which is composed of all the different guys that I'm already kindred with. <laughs> okay, just another rep complaint. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but I get it. Uh, so now you can barter hit bolt tokens for the rep that you needed in Eastern Rohan, which was also gating how quickly you could get hit bolt done. Unfortunately, it's a too, little too late for my Bjorning, which I took through there previously. Uh, I did notice that unique class quest items now stack. Uh, so things like the Putrid Slime of Helchgan and the uh, Bloodstained blood Tally Stick that you need for your class quest by going through Urugarth and Karndim. Uh, sadly, I got rid of all my dupes that were in my home chest uh, just like a week or two ago. Good timing. And again, I missed my teleport travel horses in Minas Tirith. So as far as the new instances that have come up with the new release, I've been trying to wait until I get to level 105 before I run those. I did duck into each one just to see the setups initially. Um, I haven't heard much hubbub about them yet. Uh, at least on my server, more people running the featured instance than are running the new and orient instances, at least right now. So that probably tells me they're probably a little bit tough. <laughs> but I should be ready shortly uh, to give those a try. And, uh, you know, I like being level 105 before I give them a shot. Hopefully there's still plenty of execution going on by the time I get there. And we'll bring our tunes along. Talking about bringing tunes along, I brought you along to Halifarian. It's time for Blessed Relief. And you may remember that Halifarian was the original site of the Tomb of Elendil before it got moved to Evendim. You can go see it now. But that brings us to the end of the 52nd episode of LTB. I had a lot to talk about, hadn't spoke to you in a while, so I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's Bragg with two A's. The second A stands for Amandine. Facebook or Twitter at bragsonofbalan, or my website at lightthebeacons.com, where you can post comments directly on the podcast. Kindly request you to take the time to create an iTunes review. If perhaps you're so inclined, I would very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my legendary dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week and the beacons of Middle-earth. This is Bragg, son of Balin. I am signing off. Baruch Kazad! And remember, the next time someone invites you to a picnic on the field of Onslaught, uh, don't despair. 
bring a good supply of athletes finger sandwiches, and do what the Gondorians did. Light the beacons.